Welcome to Landmark Worship Center's audio podcast. We hope that this message will inspire and encourage your life. So open your heart and mind and receive what God has for you today. Do uh, some review from last week, and then we'll continue on with our study here concerning the the topic of stewardship. And I know. When we normally think of stewardship, we think of stewardship being more related to monetary things and uh, financial endeavors and things, and it does cover that as well, but stewardship is a lot broader than that. Stewardship actually covers our whole life. Again, it's an attitude with which we approach life. It's, uh, it's not a job, it's, it's an attitude in our heart. It's how we approach our relationship with God and our, our relationship with one another. It has a, an impact on all of that. So we've been doing some study here on, on the topic of stewardship. And last week we talked about uh, the uh, angels also were involved in stewardship and there were different orders of angels. And we talked about this order of angelic beings called cherubim. And their role included that of watching over and protecting the holiness of God from being contaminated uh, by the approach of any who were unworthy. And these angels, uh, they personally knew the purity and the, the holiness of God. They were constantly in or near that perfect presence, and uh, surely they had to have developed a special connection between themselves and this uh, precious and holy God, this righteous God uh, that they were uh, so attached to. And in light of their position with God, it's hard to understand how that uh, their free will could have allowed them to stray so far away from what God had created them to be. Anytime that you've ever been in the, in the presence of God, and I'm talking about in the saturated presence of God, when you can't even stand because His, His glory is so full and so heavy, and, and you are in that situation, you don't want to leave. Where else are you going to go? <laughs> you don't want to leave that. You want to stay there. You want to soak it up. You want to enjoy that presence of God. And yet, here these angels dwelt in that situation. They dwelt in that holy presence of God where it was just so heavy, so powerful, so, so mighty. The glory of God all around you. They dwelt in that place and yet something happened in their lives and they strayed away from that occupation, from that duty, from that role, from that responsibility that was a part of their lives in connection with God. And we, we read last week in Isaiah chapter 14, verses 12 through 14, and then in Ezekiel chapter 28, verses 12 through 19, the story of this one particular chief uh, cherub that was uh, called Lucifer, and that he somehow had turned his heart through his exaltation of himself because of a pride that rose up inside of him. And it, it drove him to rise up to a position uh, that, that not just equaled God, but he wanted to be higher than God. He wanted to promote himself even higher than God. What kind of arrogance is that? He no longer wanted to serve this great glorious God. He wanted to become the one who was served. That's never going to turn out good. And for that cause, Lucifer, this 
fallen cherub was kicked out of the presence of God, but not before he had infected a host of other angels with, with his uh, prideful spirit. And they also went with their new rebel leader. And this fallen cherub, whose name became the devil and Satan, he ended up on earth, and his presence there was going to spell trouble for what God was wanting to do in his creative act, act there on that very same planet, the very same earth. Then we went back to the story of Adam, and he had begun to show signs of loneliness, so God had uh, set about to solve that problem for, uh, for Adam. And he does so in a rather unorthodox way. He gets Adam to uh, name all of these animals that he was going to bring to him one by one. And so as Adam would have these animals come to him, he'd look them over, he'd inspect them, and he'd get to know them a little bit, and then he would name them according to what they uh, impressed him with. And that was going to be their name. And we talked about the three points that we felt like was the reason that God had done it this way and one of them was that it created a closer bond between Adam and the animals that he was to oversee which it would uh, second point was that it demonstrated to the animals that Adam was the one in authority and he uh, would exercise that authority over them and the third one was in the end it provided Adam with the understanding that none of these animals that had passed before him had the capacity to fill that void that he felt in his, in his heart, in his soul. There was still something missing in him, and even though he'd had this contact with all these animals, he didn't find what he needed to fill that void in his heart through those animals. Adam was going to need and help meet for him, as the scripture says. Or, in other words, a partner that was designed specifically for the needs that existed within him. He was going to need a special companion that hadn't been created yet. God took that into account and he makes, he fashions this woman for him and she was, uh, she was just one woman because that's all it was going to take to fulfill this need, this emptiness, this spot, this void inside of him. All it took was one woman. It didn't take a multiple number of them. It took one woman. And this woman was like Adam, and yet she was at the same time different from him. But she was different from him in all the right ways. We can have people that are different from us in all the wrong ways. But this soulmate for Adam was different from him in all the right ways. And even though the woman had uh, seemed to possess all of these differences from Adam, he managed to find this special companion to be absolutely perfect for him. She was the means by which he was going to find himself fulfilled and complete. God knows how to do that for every one of us. And if you're here today or you hear us today, it doesn't matter what your needs are it doesn't matter where you're feeling incomplete in your life. God can't fill that because he knows us. He knows exactly how to fill the void that we feel in our hearts and in our lives. He's the only one that can do it. The only one who can do it. And so if you're feeling that void in your life today, give him a try. 
Stop trying to fill it yourself with everything else uh, that you think is going to fill it because you really don't know what it's going to take to fill that. Only God knows, and if you ask him, he'll help you. He will fill it for you. Always, always. More than happy to do that for you. These, uh, these two were designed, Adam and, and Eve were designed in such a way so that they could become so close to one another that it was going to be as though the two of them had in fact become one entity. And I want us to look in Genesis chapter 2, verses 23 and 24. Genesis chapter 2. And verses 23 through 24. Verse number 23 says, And Adam said, talking about Eve, This is now bone of my bones, and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman, because she was taken out of man. And verse 24, Therefore shall a man leave his father and his mother, and shall cleave unto his wife, and they shall be one flesh. This connection this unity that's going to develop between the two of them, what eventually is designed by God to happen is that they become as one flesh, as one entity, as one singular entity. So you can't tell where one ends and the other one begins. They, they match, they blend so well together and work so well together that it's a concerted effort and it's like they become one machine working together so, so beautifully. That's the way God intended for it to happen. That's the way God planned it to happen in life. And we see that it doesn't last that way for very long, but that's the way God intended it to be. While we're, uh, while we're at this state of uh, talking about this unity and this... Uh, uh, creation that God had made between man and woman and brought them together. Uh, there's another point that I, I want us to consider uh, concerning the reason that God had designed the man and the woman in the way in which he did. Back in Genesis chapter 1 and verse number 28, and I want us to turn there, Genesis chapter 1 and verse number 28, God had told something very specific to Adam and Eve. Verse number 28 says, And God blessed them, and God said unto them, talking about the man and the woman that he had created, Be fruitful and multiply, and replenish the earth, and subdue it, and have dominion over the fish of the sea, and over the fowl of the air, and over every living thing that moveth upon the earth. So here in, in that verse, we're, we're told that God had come to Adam and Eve, and collectively he told them now I want you to multiply and replenish the earth that's back in Genesis 1 and 28 then we had moved over to Genesis chapter 3 where it's a little more in depth where God actually shows us the process where he had created man so when we go to Genesis chapter 3 uh, and God's giving this detail about his creation with man and how it had taken place, we discover that God had created Adam first and that he was alone for an unspecified amount of time before God had created woman for him. 
And what I'm pointing out here is that with the creation of Adam and evidently prior to his receiving this directive from God to multiply upon the earth, Adam was incapable of satisfying that particular part of his assignment by himself. Adam could not multiply himself upon the earth by himself. That's why God had not given him that directive yet. He would have been beating his brains out trying to figure out how to do that because he didn't have the capacity to do it. God hadn't created him with that ability to create likenesses of himself. He couldn't do that. He was by himself. But once woman or Eve was specifically designed for Adam and then brought to him by God, then that expanded Adam's role and God related that to him that it was to include the process of procreation. He was to combine themselves together, Adam and Eve, and in that process of, of joining themselves together, they could create likenesses of themselves. It's that act, that uh, bringing together, coming together, that produces this living organism that is a likeness of themselves. Again, neither one of them had possessed that capability on their own. Eve couldn't do it by herself either. Adam couldn't do it by himself. Eve couldn't do it by herself. It took them together, that union of the two of them, to fulfill this commandment of God to multiply and replenish the earth. And that's the way God had established it. This fact, uh, it, as it's presented by Scripture, demonstrates to us that it was definitely a part of God's plan for man. This was how God had planned it. This was how he had designed it. You don't catch God off guard. You know, sometimes we get our minds all twisted in our thinking, and we think we can pull one over on God. You know, somehow we forget who we're talking to and who we're dealing with here. Now, we can pull things over on one another. There's things we can withhold and hide from each other. You know, we have secrets, right? We have secrets that we don't necessarily want anybody else to know about. But regardless of whether you want anybody else to know about it, somebody else does know about it, and that's God. You can't hide anything from Him. And God is never at a loss. You can't catch Him off guard. You can't surprise Him because He's God. He knows everything. And so this act of creating Adam first and then creating Eve, it was not a stopgap method on the part of God. He didn't just say, man, this is not a good thing. I need to create somebody else for Adam. He knew from the very beginning what he was going to do. It wasn't God backpedaling and having to throw something in there to get the ball moving. This is all a part of the plan of God. And when God had set his plan in motion, it designated the fact that God had designed it in the way that he had decided was the way for this process to continue. Now remember, we've already talked about it. If God has set a plan in motion, you can't, do, you can't make it better. You can't improve on the plan of God. How are you going to improve on the plan of God? He's the one who created it all. He knows how it all meshes together. He knows how it all fits together and how it's going to end up. He knows all of that. You can't outthink him. You can't outdo him. 
I don't care how smart we think we are, we can't make it better. This is the way God planned it. This is going to be the best way to fulfill it. And you can do it other ways. You can choose other ways. But this is the plan of God. It's the best way. It's the best way. And while it's true that God actually established this as the design for the way in which mankind was to increase himself upon the earth, it's equally true that he had every right to do that however he saw fit because he's the one that created it all. How are you going to tell a creator how to do something better on his when you don't even know what he's done? You don't even know how he did it and yet here we are trying to tell him how to do it better? You know, you can't do that. He had every right to determine how this was to be done. He had every right. And yet it can be seen daily in our modern world. You know, we're so sophisticated. We know better than God. And we do know a lot of stuff, let me tell you. Doesn't mean we know everything that God knows. And in our modern world, man, through the means of his use of scientific knowledge, has been able to develop a sort of workaround intended to bypass the means of doing things in the way that God has established them to be done. And we say to God, we know this is what you want, but we're going to do it this way because we can. And we think we can improve on what you've done because it looks to us like sometimes you drop the ball. And so because you dropped the ball, we're going to pick it up and we're going to run with it. We're going to fill in the gaps that you kind of just leave hanging there because we think we know what we're doing. It's like a kindergartner trying to tell Einstein he's wrong. You don't know what you're talking about. We, how can we even begin to think that we can come up to the knowledge and understanding of God. We have tried for, for decades to create life because we think we can. You know, they, they talk about, they, they bring all these things together, these, these elements together, and they, they electrify them, and they charge them with this, and they put this in there, and they try to get that electric spark going, that life spark. You know, well, we got it. we've got all the ingredients, the same ingredients that were supposed to be there. Well, why can't we get it started? Because you're not God. And you're a fool to think that you are. How do we dare to presume to tell an omniscient, omnipotent being, a master creator who is unmatched in his skill, that we think we can do it better? What arrogance. Does that sound familiar? that arrogant spirit I will be greater than the master that created me he created stuff but we can manipulate it we can move it around and we can create our own stuff that's just arrogance that very fact brings me to this conclusion 
just because we can doesn't mean we should. Just because we can doesn't mean we should. We can develop the means to do things that circumvent the plan of God, but that action, though taken, doesn't grant us the right, the morally justified right, to take it upon ourselves to do that. We're in the wrong. We're not in the right. God hasn't asked us to do that. We didn't ask his permission. Go tinkering around with his creation. When we, in our arrogance, do things that prove to be in direct violation of what God has already established as the proper way, the creator-approved way to approach doing whatever, we inadvertently end up placing ourselves upon some very shaky and dangerous ground. We can do that. But man, when you, when you start doing that kind of stuff, you're putting yourself in a dangerous situation. And it's not because God's going to get mad at you. You just open Pandora's box and you don't have a clue about what you're dealing with. God knows. He knows. That's why he has set these things in order. I fear that many in the scientific community are in danger of becoming drunk on their believed power and blinded by their limited knowledge. They run the risk of rushing into dangerous places with only the slightest regard to the advisability of such decisions. We can't see past the end of our nose. Now, we think we're smart. We might know some things, but we can't see past the end of our nose. How many of you know exactly what your choices are going to do in your life? Choices that you make. Oh, we think we do. Uh, when we choose, we already have it figured out how it's going to turn out. Because when I choose this, this is going to happen. That's what we think. Uh, because, you know, we're seeing here and we're thinking out here. And we're envisioning, we're, uh, you know, we're dreaming about all these great things that are going to happen because we made this choice or this decision. Only God can see past that. Only God knows where those choices are going to lead us. And that's the danger in this approach with not including God when you're messing with his stuff. We don't know how it's going to end. It's one thing to seek knowledge and understanding in order to better appreciate the one who created it all. I'm all for that. If you want to study the, the way things tick and how things work and operate, and you do that in order to get a better grip on how great God is, I'm all for that. Go for it. Just study your heart out. But it's an entirely different thing for one to seek to know in order to manipulate those things so complex that they're truly not yet even understood and comprehended. And I've got another little phrase for you here. Where caution is ignored and respect not offered, tragedy is inevitable. 
where caution is ignored and respect not offered, tragedy is inevitable. When that first nuclear explosion took place at Los Alamos on July 16, 1945, none, none of the scientists present, the scientists who had been working on the project, none of the scientists present that day knew exactly what to expect. They had an idea. But they were all over the place. None of them knew what to expect. None of them knew if it would work. And none of them knew if it would work the way they were hoping it would work. Some of them were scared to death that it would just light the world on fire and blow everybody up. They had no clue. They didn't understand what they were tinkering with. Did that stop them? No. We can't stop this. We're too far invested now. We've got to see this thing through. They went ahead and exploded the bomb. Not sure what the explosion was going to be. In their mind, the explosion was considered an excess. They had packed 68 pounds of radioactive fuel into this bomb. 68 pounds of radioactive fuel into this bomb. And after it had been detonated and they had done all their, their, their figuring, it was determined that the amount of fuel that had actually exploded in the process was the size of a grain of rice. The amount of fuel the size of a grain of rice had done the devastation that they had seen. What if the 68 pounds had been ignited? They didn't know if they could even stop the, the explosion. They didn't know if they could stop it and control it. They had no clue. They didn't know. But they went ahead and did it. That's human nature. We take chances when we make decisions and we don't know the outcome. When man tries to play God, the results are always dangerous. I don't know if you know this fact or not, but I'm going to share it with you today. From that time that that first nuclear explosion took place, on average, from that point to 50 years on down the road, there was an average of a nuclear explosion taking place on Earth every eight days for 50 years. Did you know that? Scientists didn't stop. They saw the potential devastation that could be done, but that didn't stop them. They continued. And we wonder today why we have this outbreak of so many strange and rare diseases. How could these things be happening? My God, you fill the whole atmosphere full of nuclear radioactivity. It's in our soil, it's in our air, it's in everything. We, it's in all around us. How can we not have it? And that stuff lasts for thousands of years. You mess with stuff that you don't even understand and everybody else pays the price for it because a group of men decided to make a decision in 1945 and we're living with the results of it still today and you guys are going to be living with it, your grandkids, your, you know, for generations yet. It's going to happen. 
We're dealing with the problems as a result of this trying to play God. Everything that God has created for the earth, the various laws which science employs, along with the laws that he set into, into motion on the, when he gave that code to us on Mount Sinai, all of the things that God has put in motion on the earth when he created, he did so not out of selfishness on his part. It wasn't for him. He created all of those things not because he was selfish. He does what he does because he knows things that we don't have a clue about. He sets boundaries. He sets barriers. You can go this far, but you can't go any farther. Why does he do that? Because he cares about us. And he knows us. We push boundaries. And if we push them too far, people get hurt. That's why he set them in there, so that people wouldn't be hurt. And we just bust right through the barriers. We keep doing whatever we want to do. We don't pay any attention to the barriers that he set. And everybody suffers. Everybody's hurt. He knows things that we don't have a clue about. Things that, such as who we are as human beings and how those choices that we make always have an impact upon the events that result from those choices. God always has had and will continue to have our best interest at heart. That's God. That's God. We don't always believe that though, do we? We don't always believe that God has our best interest at heart. We should, because he does, but we don't always believe that. We've all had those experiences where we choose to do something without consulting God, only to have that decision result in the opening of a door that we would have been so much better off had it remained closed. Then we have the gall to call God into question on the matter. Here I am trying to do what's right and I'm making one bad choice and then this happens to me. I don't understand why God's punishing me. God didn't punish you. You made a choice. And with every choice we make, there's consequences. Good consequences in some cases, bad consequences in others. Based on your choice, there's consequences and we think those consequences are God just bashing the daylights out of us. God's beating us up over there. No, he's not. You made the choice. That's the consequence. And people blame God for their bad decisions all the time when they didn't even bother to consult him. You can't blame God when you don't ask him for his counsel. And don't go pointing your finger at him when everything goes south because you made the choice. But we do that, and that's not fair to God. That is very unfair to God. 
God is not out to get you. And that's the way he's been twisted and perverted into being seen. Because we make stupid choices and we get the results and we think it's God's fault. How do you get that out of that? It's not his fault. And so God becomes the bad guy. But he doesn't just stand around until we mess up so he can thump us on the head. That's not God. Bible tells us God is love. Does somebody that loves the, the people around them, are they happy when they make a mistake, when they mess up? No, it breaks your heart. And they might do everything they can to stop you from making that decision or that choice, but you'll go ahead and do it anyway. And they still have a broken heart because they knew what the results were going to be. But you go ahead and make the decision and you make the choice and then you're stuck with the consequences. We make the mess and God has to come in and clean it up. Doesn't have to, but he wants to. Thank God. You want to know where the real problem lies in our lives? Take your finger, turn it around, and point it right here. This right here is your worst enemy. Dealing with this person that you face in the mirror every day, that's the problem. That's, forget about the devil. This is the problem. This is the problem. You get this guy in check, and the devil, he don't, have, he don't have a chance. You know, he's yesterday's news. This is the problem right here. And we have to deal with this problem every day in our lives. God is all about helping each of us to have good lives, productive lives, blessed lives. But the fact is, he is the only one who knows which choices we make and what results will happen as the effect of making that decision. He's the only one who knows the cause and the effect. He's the only one who understands when we make the choices we make where that's going to lead us, where that's going to take us. And what we believe to be God's punishment being doled out by him against us for our making wrong decisions is, rea is in reality just merely the consequences that were part of that choice that we made. A fact that God already knew and would have been more than willing to steer us away from had we simply asked for his input before making the decision. How many times have we been involved in, in heartbreak situations because of decisions we've made when that could have been avoided if we just asked God, should I be doing this? Is, is this a good choice for me to make? Is this the step I need to take or is there some other step I need to take right now? What should I do? Because he's not going to lead you down that path. He's got other plans for you. He's got a better life for you to live than that. And we negate his ability to help that come to pass. And so in our thinking, you know, we think God's really not that good after all. He's not such a great help after all. How's he not a help to us if you don't ask him? 
He's not going to beat us over the head. We've got free will, remember? We can make our own choices and decisions. He's not going to beat you over the head and make you do it. Do what you should do, although I have prayed to God before. God, if you have to, if you have to drag me, do it. I don't care. And I meant it. I'm tired of, mix, I'm tired of making bad mistakes, bad decisions and choices. I'm tired of the mistakes I made. And if you have to drag me along, drag me along. I don't care. I give you, the, you, know, I give you free reign. Do it. Because I don't want to mess up. The, the way in which our choices make an impact are, are foreign to us. We don't understand it. We can't figure it out. Every possible variable of choice that we could make in any situation will alter what happens in our lives afterwards. Let's say you're faced with a decision and you've got maybe four possibilities for an answer. So you make one decision that goes off in one direction. Then you're going to meet up with another choice, another decision, and you've got maybe four possibilities, and so you choose another one. And you can see, after a while, you get out there, and you can be out in the middle of nowhere, don't even know where you're at. Because we don't know where it's going to lead us. We don't know where those choices that we make, independently, it seems like, of one another, but they're all connected. And they're all leading us somewhere. Now, we think we know where that's taking us, but we really don't know. Only God knows where each individual choice will take us when we make it. And he has a path that he wants every one of us individually to follow that's specific for your own life. It's not going to be the same path that I've got. It's not going to be the same path your spouse has got. It's not going to be the same path that the others that are around you have. Every one of us has our own specific path that God has laid out and planned for us, specifically, to bring us the best life we could have, the greatest experiences that we could have. But when we don't include Him in making the choices in our life, He can't lead us on that path because we're, we're going off the path all the time. And only when we ask God to correct us and to get us back on the path does he have a chance to do that? And you know what? Sometimes that takes years. Sometimes it's not a quick fix because you see, the choices that you make are not just affecting you. The choices that you make are also affecting others that you don't even know about. Just like those scientists made their decision, well, it didn't just affect them, did it? It's still affecting people today. How could they possibly know that? They didn't. That's why they went ahead and did it. When we make our decisions, it doesn't just affect us, and it takes God working with the other lives as well who are connected to the choices that we make. He has to work in them. He has so many things, that, so many strings he has to pull to, to get this thing back in gear. God does this all the time for each and every one of us. That's the God that I know. He never tires. He never stops. He never ceases working on your behalf and my behalf to bring us back to the path that he wants for us. 
He never quits. He doesn't sleep. And he won't quit until he gets us back on the path that's going to bring us the joy and the happiness and the contentment it's going to fill us with all the good things that He has for us, that He wants us to experience in Him. That's God. That's God. So let me just tell us today, wise up. Instead of thinking that we know what we're doing when we make our choices, why don't we start saying, God... I've got this possibility, what should I do? And you know the hardest part for us to do is wait till he answers us. We get impatient, just like King Saul. Remember him? He was, he was getting nervous because every day that he waited to, to go fight those Philistines, man, he was losing more army. His, his guys were deserting, and he was, they were all leaving him. And, you know, and he's, he's, getting, he's getting really antsy about this now. We prayed to God, you know, God's supposed to meet us here. The man of God's supposed to come. And he hadn't showed up yet. And he's getting all this. That's the hardest thing for us to do is just simply, no matter what you're seeing, no matter what it looks like, wait anyway. Because when you make that choice without waiting on God, guess what's going to happen? Consequences. He lost his kingdom eventually because of that choice that he made. He didn't know that was going to happen. He couldn't see that far down the road. And how many times has that occurred in our lives? When we have missed out on some of the greatest blessings that God had in store for us because we couldn't wait. We couldn't be bothered to wait. Been there. More than once I've been there. And it's not a good place to be. When how easy is it for us to simply stop and say, God, I'm leaning toward this decision, but I don't want to make that decision if it's not the right one. Would you just simply help me right now? Would you just simply guide me and assist me in letting me know if this is the right choice or right decision that I should make. And I'll just give you this little anecdote uh, as we close here. Um, I don't know if if all of you know it, but um, the beginning of January, uh, I was called into the office and I was let go from my job that I had for two and a half years. And uh, <clears throat> what took place before that was about a week before that had happened. Um, my wife has been a, a big supporter of trying to get me to retire. And, uh, you know, and, and I'm, that's a big decision to make. That's a big choice to step into. You don't just, you know, all of a sudden you wake up one day, I'm going I'm to retire today. You just don't do that. And so she'd been talking to me about it for, for months now. And uh, my kids had got on the bandwagon, and they were all telling me, you need to retire, you need to get out, you need to quit. And, you know, I didn't know what I was supposed to do. So a week before this event happened at work, 
I was talking to God and I told him, God, I don't want to mess this up. I can make a decision right now and, and I could be wrong in what I do and I don't want to do that because a lot of people could be hurt by this. I, I need to know what decision to make. And I said, God, you're going to have to make it so plain and so clear to me that I can't miss it. I mean, you're going to have to show me where even if I'm blind, I can see it because I don't want to miss this. I go into work a week later have no idea, went to work the day before this, and then the second day I went to work, and everything was going great. Uh, at noon, we got called down to the office, me and the guy that I'm working with, and, and uh, they let us go. I don't need you anymore. I kind of took that as a sign. Maybe, maybe this is what I'm supposed to be doing after all, you know. But if you pray that way, if you ask God, He will show you. And if you're, if you're dumb like me and he has to really, really show you, he'll do that. He'll do that. Maybe not the way you expected it to be done, but he'll show you. It got my attention. God's on your side. We don't need to fight him by making choices that we exclude him from. Bring him on your side. Let him into your decision-making. Let him into the uh, part of your life that's the most important. And just see what God will do for you. I'm serious. Because God can do some fantastic things. He may shock you at what he can do for your life. If you just open up and let him. Praise God. Let's pray. My God, I thank you so much today. You, you are beyond un, our understanding today. How magnificent you are. The depths that you will go to to reach our lives, to help us to become that vessel that you see in us, that potential that resides within us that you put there. And only you know how to develop that. 